because many of you didn't know that the Yahweh, the word Yahweh there, is actually one of the names for God that we find in the scriptures. So we were singing praises to the name of God. So I'm going to conclude a series today, and, and, and I want to start with a story. Um, I started pastoring when I was 27 years old. So it dawned on me that this week that that's the same age as my youngest son, right? And... Um, so I got out of seminary, and I came to a very small church down in Hanover, Mass. It's hard to call it a church. They didn't have a building. They didn't have an office, and there were six of them. But I was coming to be their new pastor. And, um, and one of the first families that started to connect with us was a guy who was about my current age. He was 57, um, and, and so he's in his late 50s, and he's a good guy. Uh, and, and i got to tell you, as a young pastor, really wasn't sure of myself, didn't know how it was going to all work out, had all the potential for this whole thing to just to be a big flop and kind of idea. Having this, this stable, mature Christian couple that lived in town, lived there for a long time, get connected with us, was extremely encouraging. And, um, and, and so it was just a real blessing to us. But, I, I, you know, over the years, I wondered, you know, wow, this is kind of interesting. You know, he's so much older than I am. He's, he was actually my parents' age at that moment. And, and it's like, and I'm trying to pass it. We became good friends. He was a real encourager, a real mentor. But I remember an experience that happened a few years into it. And, and um, he was a, a, a comptroller, like a bookkeeper for a company, small company, and he lost his job. The company hit in a lot of struggles and times, and so they decided to downsize. He was put out. One of the owners, if you will, took over those responsibilities, so he was without a job. And, um, and he did something that I didn't even know existed, right? So this, so, I mean, this was back before the Internet, right? I mean, did, it wasn't like you went on Monster.com and you, you applied all these elements. You know, we, we did have electricity, right? But there was no Internet. And so, you know, on the days that he wasn't actually knocking on doors, looking for a job, or actually interviewing for a job, he would get up in the morning and he would drive over to the city of Brockton, which is about 30 minutes away, and he would sit in a day labor or, uh, um, office. So basically what you did is you showed up every morning, you got there by 7 o'clock, and if somebody needed an extra worker that day for whatever reasons, they would call over and, and you would get hired. So some days, you know, he went in and somebody wouldn't, you know, manufacturing process, real repetitive type of role, somebody wouldn't show up for work, they needed somebody to run the machine, they'd call over, he'd go out, and I did one of these when I was in college on a Christmas break, you know, just, you know, put it down, drilling out plastic in a, in a hole in a, in, a, in, a, in a fitting, you know, and that's all I did for eight hours a day, 40 hours a week, he'd do those kinds of jobs, sometimes he would, they'd say, you know what, we're, we're cleaning stuff out, we need somebody to fill the dumpster, this is your job today, or just sweeping the floor. Now, one of the things that really struck me about David is that David had some kind of a birth defect that where he didn't have normal movement of one of his arms, right? So it was very limited. And even so, he just worked. But I, I remember just, just having this, you know, just this old school kind of mentality, right? That, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to earn my way, and I'm going to provide for my family, and I don't care what that means. If I have to scrub toilets all day, you know, that's what I'll do. And he would just show up at the day laborer's office and work every single day. Now, I tell you that story for a couple of reasons. Because we're going to look at a parable today where they func- basically functioned as a part of their regular economy with a day laborer type office. So it's a nice segue to that kind of par- the parable we're going to look at. But on top of that, I really try to share that story with you because it, 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 it is a vivid memory for me about one of the ch- greatest challenges that you and I have about living God's grace. And that is, if we don't 
earn our way, it's really not our way. You know, we, we get into this mentality that, you know, it, it, uh, you know if, if you're going to be anything in this world, you have to be this self-made man who provides for yourself and does, etc. And somehow or another, if we don't earn it, if it's not our effort and a direct result of our labor, then it's really not ours. And that is deadly when it comes to living our lives by grace. See, one of the things I'm going to point out to you as we go through that the mathematics of grace is, is that ultimately it will never add up. You, you can look and say, well, all right, what have I done to add God's grace, earn God's grace? And you can go through each and every step of the way, and you're only going to get yourself to here, but God's grace doesn't really start until way over here. And no matter how you do the math, we're never going to get to the place where what we do and how we perform and how we work and how we live somehow adds up to deserving what it is that God gives us in Jesus Christ. And so if you and I are going to embrace this idea of actually living our lives by grace, we have to be confronted with and accept the realities of the mathematics of grace. Now, for those of you who are just kind of jumping in today because we had the baptism or whatever, and so, all right, we, we are concluding a series that we've been in since Easter. We, we, we learned through our Easter journey that Easter, Jesus' death, his Burial and his resurrection, it changes everything. In terms of the way you and I can connect with God, it changes everything. Say that with me. Easter changes everything, right? Well, the thing that has to change is that you and I have to learn how to live by grace. Not by merit, not by justice, not by fairness, those kinds of things. Not by achievement, but we have to learn how to live by grace. And we've, we've looked at four, three installments, and today will be the final First of all, we started out with, and this is very counterintuitive for us, if you and I are going to live by grace, we have to be deeply confronted by our own sinfulness. What? Isn't that going to kind of... You and I will never have the gratitude, the appreciation, the, the, the abandonment to God's grace until you and I understand how much it is that we need to be forgiven for. The one who's forgiven much is far more in love with the Savior than the one who thinks they just have a little bit to be forgiven for. And we have to be confronted by our sinfulness. But then secondly, we really have to be open to change. You can't take this new wine and pour it into old wineskins because it's just not going to hold it. And a lot of us are trying to force God's grace into our old lives. And in many ways, what we're trying to do is we just want God's grace to make us a better old us. And the problem is that old us is dead and gone. It's a dead-end street. We have to live the new life, the new person that we are in Christ. We also need to understand that our whole, our whole view of who God is, the scenery we have of who God is, has to change. You know, a lot of times we, we kind of think of God as like he's the, he's the cosmic cop, right? He's ready to slap us on the wrist every time we do something wrong. That's not God's imagery at all. You know, the story that we read of the loving father, many of us know this as a prodigal son story, God is actually the one who's standing on the hillside looking out, ready for us to come home, and he is so head over heels in love with us and wants us to be home. He's this adoring father who finds us precious, and as soon as he sees us on the horizon, he slips on his Nikes and he's running to us, and God is deeply in love with us. The last thing we have to really appreciate is what we're going to look at today. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 20? Matthew chapter 20. If if you didn't bring a Bible with you, that's okay. We have them here. They're right underneath your chair. Grab one. I think you're going to find this a lot more powerful if you actually read along with me. And it's in Matthew chapter 20. 
verses 1 through 16. This is in the Bibles that are underneath your chairs, page 832. 832. And it's Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. And if you want to have that reference, it's on the back of your handout. It's also a place there where you can take some notes. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the passage for us. I'll provide a little bit of explanation to fill in the pieces, especially making our connection to the day laborer's office that, we, we, that I told you about just a little bit. And then I'm going to bring out just, just some points that you and I need to understand about the way that the mathematics of grace will never add up, and we just need to get over it and embrace God's gift of grace as our own. So follow along with me, beginning with chapter, verse 1 of chapter 20. This is a, the only place in the Gospels where this particular parable is told, and, and, it's, and, it, and it's not one that we often think of when we think about the parables of Jesus. It's kind of, a, kind of an off one, if you will, not one of the most popular or well-known. It said, for the kingdom of heaven... Is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for the vineyard. So after agreeing with the workers on one denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. So again, you know, the, the, there's a vineyard owner. Certain times of the year, you need a lot more labor. The place you went was to the marketplace. This was the day laborer's office. Actually, a lot of the population worked that way. You showed up every morning. You got into the marketplace before 6 o'clock. Guys would come in and say, all right, I need somebody to help me with this today, this and that. And they would just hire people. And these were day laborers. And the typical daily wage was a denarius. This is enough money that you could make in a day to feed your family for a day. So they were subsistence workers, right? Just living on the edge, right? So he shows up in the morning and says, all right, I got a vineyard that I got to harvest. So I need some guys. And he hires the guys. He sends them out. And they agree. They enter into a contract on the standard going rate of a denarius a day for work. So off they go into the vineyard. But we pick up with verse 3. So when he went out about 9 in the morning, some of you will say the third hour because the day started at 6 o'clock in the morning for Jews. That was the first hour. So in the third hour or 9 o'clock, he saw others standing around the marketplace doing nothing. So to those men, he said, you also go to my vineyard, and I'll give you whatever's right. Notice that there isn't an agreement. He says, you know what? I'll just give you what's right at the end of the day. So off they went. And then about noon, and then three, went out again and did the same thing. So now it's the sixth hour and the ninth, ninth hour, right? He, he's sending them out. Then about five, in other words, only an hour left in the workday, he went out, and he found others standing around. And he said, well, wh- why have you been standing around here all, all day doing nothing? They said, because no one hired us, they said to him. Well, you also go to my vineyard, he told them. So when evening came, 6 o'clock, pay time. They didn't have pay day. They had pay hour every single day. You got paid the day you worked, and that's what you used to buy your food to feed your family. right? So, so when evening came, the owner of the vineyard told his foreman, call the workers, give them their pay, start with the last first, those who started at 5 o'clock, and, and end up with the first, to those who started at 6 a.m. When those who were hired about five came, they received one denarius. Hmm. So when the first ones came, they assumed that they would get more. But they also received the denarius. When they received it, they began to complain to the landowner. This isn't fair, right? These last men put in one hour, and yet you made them equal to us. You, you paid them the same as us. This isn't fair. It's not just. Right. So, you know, you made them equal to us who bore the burden of the day in the burning heat. 
And so the owner, he replied to them saying, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me on denarius? Take what's yours and go. I want to give this last man the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my business? Or another phrase might put, some of yours might have says, don't I have the right to do what I want with what's my own? Are you jealous because I'm generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. So, <clears throat> so we had this scenario, like my friend David goes, every day, guys would go down to the labor hall. It was the marketplace. There was a central place in every community right by the front gate where they conducted business, and this is where the guys would go and say, I'm available for hire today. And, and the, the day started at 6, guys would go in, they hire out the people they need. Apparently, this particular vineyard owner, he's seeing guys at 9 and at 12 and at 3 and even at 5, guys who aren't working. And in my opinion, I think part of what Jesus is trying to say to us is that he's looking at these guys in his story and saying, if these guys don't eat, their family's not going to eat. If these guys don't work, their families aren't going to eat tonight. This guy's going to go home, and when he gets home, he's not going to have any money to buy anything, and they're all just going to go hungry for tonight. And so one of the things we see initially from this passage of Scripture is that God... In God's grace, he gives us what we need, right? By grace, God gives us what we need. This isn't something that's optional to us. This is something that we need. It is a necessity. It's a requirement. And by God's grace, he gives it to us. So here this guy, he goes out. And, and so you get to the end of the day, right? He's hired the guys at, not, at 6, 9, noon, 3, 5. And he gets to the end of the day, and the guys who started at 5 come up. And he's thinking to himself, you know what? If I give them 8% of a day's wage, he's going to have to go home and say, hmm, which kid am I going to feed tonight? And I'll let the rest of them go hungry. Because I, I don't want to do that. So he gives them a denarius. He gives them enough to feed their family. Guy who comes in at three, who started work at three. All right, I can give him 25%, right? And, 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 and you know, he'll go home and say, all right, I can feed two kids. So which three am I going to leave out? And right on down the line, and, and, and he said, I don't want to do that. So he looks at him and says, what you need, I'm going to give to you. And in the same way, God, by his grace, gives us what we need. You know, the scripture says that, that all of us have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. doesn't mean we're bad people. It just means that we're sinful people, right? And, 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 and he says that it is by grace that you are saved through faith. It is by grace. It's in God's grace that he gives us what we need in order to be able to live a new life in him. It is by grace. God gives us what we need. It's not what we earn, right? It's not like we started at six. He gives us what we need which is to live in grace in relationship with him. Now, the second point I want you to see in this text, and I'm moving kind of quickly because our time. No, just back up. I mean, think about the dynamic. You know, um, many of you know that, that I've had the privilege over the last essentially decade or so to be able to go to Rwanda and, and serve there. And when we first started going in 2010, the, the, the country was still very much more in a recovery period out of the genocide. In fact, some of you may have noticed in the news this week they're still discovering 
mass graves in Rwanda as a result of the 800,000 people who died in 100 days in Rwanda. You know, um, and, and they found uh, uh, some graves this week, literally right on the outskirts of the capital, that were 80 feet deep and three to 4,000 people buried in them. And, you know, and just part of the struggle that's going on is that, you know, how could you know where they're buried and not tell us? How can we reconcile and become one nation with you if, if you wouldn't even just reveal that to us when you knew that? Because they've been looking for these people for 20, 24 um, years now. And, and, but part of what happened in the aftermath of the genocide is that there were a number of women who had children whose husbands weren't in the picture or whose husbands had been killed. And literally, they went days on end without being able to provide any food to their family because they had absolutely no money. And so what they chose to do in order so that their children wouldn't starve to to death is that they sold themselves off for sex. And and those were some of the initial women that we engaged through the microloan program that we did so they could get out of that kind of thing and get into selling tomatoes or secondhand shoes or small fishes or whatever, and they could make enough money to feed their families. You know, when you're at a place where you're just desperate to provide, that's the picture here, and God pictures us as being desperate in order to be able to survive in him, and he gives us what he needs. Not what we've earned. He gives us what we need in order to be redeemed, to be new. But here's the second thing I want you to see, and this comes out in verse 15, right? You know, and... Look what it say, he says in verse 8. So the guys that come up at the end of the day, right? So, you know, the, the ones who started at 6 say, you know, this isn't fair. It's not fair. You know, these guys worked an hour. Some of them worked three hours. Some six. But we've been here since 6 o'clock. We've been slaving away. We worked in the hottest part of the day, et cetera. And you're going to pay us the same? That's not fair, right? And, and this is the response. The guys, well, you know what? We entered into an agreement, Right? And I've paid you. I've kept my word, right? We agreed for a denarius. I've paid you a denarius. There is, so God has said, I'm keeping my word to you. Now, what the scripture tells us is that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that our best righteousness, our efforts are like filthy rags in God's sight, which means that no matter how hard we work over that 12-hour period, we still get a 59 and we're not going to pass that class. And God, he says, that's the justice in it. But then God comes back to these guys and says, you know what? If I, don't rem- if I got this correct, right, it's my money. I can do what I want with it. Right? Look, look at the phrase, right? He says, he says you know, he says, he says take, your, take what's yours and go. I want to give this last man the same. He says, don't I have the right to do what I want with my business? It's, it's my money. I can do with it what I want. And the flip side to us is it's God's grace, and he can give it to us if he wants to. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to accomplish it. You don't have to maintain it. God gives it to us because it's his, right? It's his. It's his to give to us. Let me use a couple of examples. Silly, but make it sense. You could go out and you could buy a $1,000 suit or, or, you know, a $1,000, you know, or $2,000 wedding dress, right? And you can go out. You can buy this. And once it's yours, right, nobody can stop you from painting in it right? It's yours. You can take a $1,000 suit and then go home and paint your ceiling purple and just spray everything all over and ruin it. Why? Because it's yours. You can do with it what you want, right? You know, you're free to do it. You could go out and buy 
and it, as long as you paid cash, right? You know, there was just not finance. You could go out and you could go buy go a hundred thousand dollar BMW sports coupe, and you could use it as a pickup truck. You know, or you could say, you know what, this is my thing. When I get mad, I'm just going to go out and pound pound the car with a sledgehammer. It's just going to you can do what you want with it, right? It's yours. Nobody can stop you, right? In fact, people do this so much that we actually have neighborhoods now that are set up so you can't do that. My parents, when they were living in Tampa, they lived in a gated community that was restricted deed, right? So the way this worked was, they, they, it, 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 it was really interesting, you know. But in other words, if you're going to move in here, this is what you agree to live. You can't do what you want with your own property. Right, because you know, and so I mean, the kind of rule. So you know, some of us, some some parts of the nation, they think, all right, the best lawn ornament I can have is a car up on blocks with no wheels on it, and they just want to leave it there for ten years. Right, this particular neighborhood, you 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 could not leave your garage door open unless unless if you weren't actively using it. I mean, if you were cutting your grass, you had to close your garage door. You know, when when you were gone or. If you had two cars, you couldn't park them in the driveway. They had to be in the garage with the garage door closed. They got letters saying, well, your branches are too low on your trees. You're going to have to trim those back. You know, and, and, and why do they do that? Because some people will buy a piece of property, and they'll just let it go to, right? And it's like, it's an eyesore. Nobody wants to live next to that. You know, we had one of those kind of experiences happen in our own neighborhood, right? Where, you know, in a, in a small residential area, they decided they were going to be farmers, you know, and, and with live livestock. It was all brutal. And we didn't, couldn't hear it, but the neighbors were having a lot of fun with each other down there, right? I mean, and, and so it's yours. You can do what you want with it. What are you saying? It's God's grace. He can do what he wants with it, especially since he's sovereign and nobody can stop him. <laughs> and if he decides to give it to you, it's yours, and he has chosen to give it to us, and that's what we see in the cross. Here's the third truth I want you to see. No matter how hard you work, it's never going to add up. No matter how hard you work, you just say, well, you know what, I'm going to be like, I'm gonna, and I'm going to earn every penny of that day's pay. I got to tell you, it's not going to work. So here's how it works in, in the terms of this story, right? You show up at 6 a.m. and you're going to do it. So you're thinking about life. I got to tell you, the first time you get angry and talk back to your parents when you're 12 years old, you didn't show up at 6 a.m. anymore. You're a 9 a.m. guy. You're a noontime guy. You're a 3 o'clock guy. You're a 5 o'clock guy. You didn't earn the day's wage. The first time you have a lustful thought or a selfish thought or you refuse to forgive somebody, you, you didn't show up at 6 a.m. You, you didn't pull, put in a full day's labor because it's, 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 all of us come up short. All of us fall short of God's glory. We all come up short. And so every single one of us are in need of God's grace for it to be ours. The very first thought, you know, it's interesting that Paul put it this way. And here was a guy who spent his life trying to toil to do everything he could. The Apostle Paul, you know, he, he spent his entire young adult life, his childhood, trying to keep every single aspect of the law of God. And this is the conclusion that he drew. When Christ died on the cross, I was actually God's enemy. I was God's enemy. He said, well, you know, for a while, for, for, um, for Christ died for us even when we were the enemies of God, Romans 5.10. 
And so, you know, we, we come up short. We're never going to earn it, right? And, and some of us, we just need to embrace that. Because we live in a world, like my friend David, where I'm going to pay my own way. And if I can't pay my own way, I'm not going to do it. And it's not going to work spiritually. It's not going to work in the kingdom. It's not. You have to embrace God's grace and experience his forgiveness for what's going on. So here's my last point to you. It's just get over it and make God's grace your own. Get over it and make God's grace your own. So here's the illustration I want to use. So, you know, um, some of you know that both of my parents have passed away now. My, my dad's been gone um, a little over three and a half years now. And, and so my parents were one of these couples where they, 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 they had the means to do some things that the, us kids couldn't do. So they always tried to make sure that we, we got to enjoy that. So over the years, they, uh, they always had a, a place. It was like a lake house or, or on the water, whatever. And they always made sure there were some toys there to play with, like a boat and some other stuff. And to tell you the truth, my father never went in the water. And he hardly ever drove the boat. The only reason they owned that stuff is because they wanted us to use it and enjoy it, right? And so, and so the last 24 months of their, of their lives, they weren't able to come up and use their, their place in the, in, the, in the lakes region. And so they, my brother already had his only place, and I was the only other child living in the region. They wanted Christina and I to use it like it, it was our own, right? So we would go up regularly. We'd have guests, but I got to tell you, we never acted like it was our own. We didn't dare move the furniture, you know, that kind of stuff. You put a scratch in the boat. Oh, no. You know, because, you know, so, you know I know they, they want us to use it and enjoy it, but it's not mine, right? And that's the way a lot of us live with God's grace. It's, we act as though, like, God's given it to us. He's loaned it to us. But you know what? I got to be careful because, you know, it's, it's really not mine. It's his. When my parents passed away, through their will, they gave the house to me. And now I don't worry when I put a hole in the wall <laughs> or move the furniture or scratch the floor or other kinds of things because it's mine. And I can tell that's the way God wants you to live with his grace. It's not something that he's just divvied out to you and you've leased for a while. But this is yours. He wants you to take it to home. And he is prepared and has given you what you need. And you and I are never going to earn it. The mathematics are never going to add up. And we just need to get over it and embrace God's grace as our own. And that's my prayer for you today. That's what these two kids this morning testified to us. I've made God's grace my own, and now they're living it out. Let's pray for just a minute as we conclude our service. God, thanks for your encouragement from your word. You know, it's, it's, it's such, a, such a hard thing to switch gears to get out of this merit-based, I got to earn it, I got to pay my own way kind of thing and embrace a mindset that you've given us everything that we need and it's really ours by our faith in you. God, help us to get over it, get beyond the mathematics of grace and live with that grace as your children. Thanks for being sovereign. Thanks for choosing in all the different ways you could have distributed your grace. Thanks for choosing to give it to us in Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.